Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, the show where we discuss gaming and related topics. Retro Rebels release Fridays, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to templeofgeek.com, iTunes, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook or Twitter by searching for Temple of Geek. My name is Stacy, and with me is my fellow Rebel co-host, Amanda. Hello. Hello. So, lots of developments, lots of things changed, people playing games, news hath happened. What's been going on? I have been playing, and I don't know if we talked about this last time, I've been playing uh, Age of something Planetfall, Age of Empires Planetfall, maybe, is the whole title, but I've just been calling it Planetfall. Uh, Have I told you about this game? Okay, so we had a bit of drama, this game and I, um, where I had been playing, it's like a turn-based strategy game, um, sort of like Civilization to a certain extent, but in space, and uh, the AI and the challenges and what you're supposed to do sort of changes. The AI can be kind of unpredictable. You could There's also a multiplayer aspect if you want to do it. Anyway, it's part of Game Pass. I don't usually play many games of that kind, and initially when I started playing it, I thought, mm, maybe this isn't for me, but it sort of hooks you in, because um, there is quite a lot of unpredictability in the outcomes of battles, so you can lose huge parts of your army in one go through a bad roll, <laughs> or you can um, take over an entire HQ of your opponent and win in, I think I won in 12 moves or 20 moves one time, which is pretty crazy. Um, so it's it's a decent game. However, when I first started playing it, I... Uh, played it for like maybe two days not days worth of game time but like a couple hours across two days and the next day when I went to load it it would get halfway through the like loading process to get to the menu like you accept the EULA and whatever and it just crash out to the home screen and I was like well this is no fair like literally just started playing this game and now it's like broken so I went on to like Xbox support I was on the phone with them for hours like they made me reset my console and all its settings which forgot all my passwords for everything like Netflix and whatnot which was super annoying deleted all my saves so i lost all my progress and it still didn't work no matter what and they ended up being like oh you just need to contact the developers and they'll tell you like how to fix it and i was like okay so i emailed the developers they're like um swedish or norwegian or something like that um and i emailed them and i was like so i've been trying to fix this game for like three hours with like whatsoever and xbox doesn't know what to do i've went through several like hard resets of the console and nothing is happening and um i sent that email assuming they would never get back to me and then i saw on a tile later that evening that they were pushing an update through and so oh, wow. once the console updated to the new version, like once I got the update, it worked perfectly. So then I had to email them back and be like, sorry, it looks like it was to do with you pushing the update out. Like, Aww. sorry about that. And they actually replied. They were really nice. They're like, glad you're back up and running. Sorry that the update like caused you all this extra drama, but like glad that it's working now. And I've been playing it, you know, ever since. I think I've made it through maybe five or six scenarios with like a couple pretty rare achievements in there, which is always nice. Um, and I'm still learning how it goes it's very very complex and layered with like research and 
diplomacy tracks that you can go down and you know types of armies that you can build and methodologies that your people can follow and all of those things determine whether or not you're going to be successful so it really is a different play experience even on the same scenario like pretty much every time which i think is quite cool so really enjoying that yeah a lot of replay value and i haven't even started playing against real opponents and i think that would be quite hard because if you knew what you were doing you could get like a tier five army pretty quick and some smash roonies over on my hq (laughs) but like even learning things about the value of moving your hq as your main army moves forward because your hq is where the heroes spawn and if that hero is halfway across the map it's going to take you seven or eight turns to get to where your army is it's going to be basically useless you'll probably lose half your troops in the process because they don't have backup and stuff so like moving your hq is an advantage that i didn't use early on when i was learning it's it's a good game i recommend it give it a try why not nice okay um well i have been playing um not Disco Elysium, so no worries there. Haven't had a chance to actually get back into it, but I did buy a game. I was I had been in the mood for something a little bit more casual in terms of like my my need to be invested in it just because I hadn't had a lot of time to play. And I had seen a review up. I don't know if you or any of the listeners follow Yahtzee Croshaw or, or any zero punctuation stuff, but he had done a review of a game called Kentucky Route Zero. Have you seen this game? <laughs> no, but it sounds great already. It's in, it's interesting. Um, I'm about uh, a third or a quarter of the way through. So this game originally was released, I believe, in 20... Oh, man. 13? Um, in the first episode? The, and the last episode was released this year. So... 20 so 20 I think it's seven years over the course of seven years all of the episodes have been released or the acts I think there's five acts to the game uh, it is an action um, I mean I'm sorry an adventure puzzle puzzler game type uh, and it's I, I'm playing it on the switch so uh, and I'm playing it handheld so it's it's basically um, it's it's definitely its strength is the writing. So the writing is the strength in this game. You start out you're a delivery truck driver, and so there's not a lot of backstory necessarily to that. And there's it's very text based. There there's no voiceover to my knowledge. Uh, there's a little bit of music, but it's much more atmospheric. So it's the writing and uh, and everything that really kind of draws you in. If anything's going to, it's going to be the writing. You do have to figure out a, a couple things on how to advance the storyline. Your dialogue choices uh, do seem to play a role. I don't know to what ex- uh, what effect at this point that that it's going to play a role, but I do know that it makes a difference. You meet other characters throughout the game that kind of join your party, and they influence how you're experiencing the world around you. But as a minor spoiler, I'm just going to start from the beginning and kind of tell you how the the beginning series of events kind of plays out, and you can kind of get the gist of what's happening from there so it seems like okay so you work for this uh you work for this antique shop it's a antique shop that's dying it's you know it's it's kind of uh, and it's in the middle of nowhere you're making a delivery and you stop at this gas station and there's somebody sitting out like an attendant sitting out by the gas pumps 
there are no lights on. And so you walk up to them and you've got a dog. And again, none of this is really explained to you. You have a dog that's wearing like a cowboy hat. <laughs> what? Yeah. It, it's not really even a cowboy hat. It's kind of like if you, if a bloodhound was wearing a hillbilly hat, that would be kind of what this, you know, the, the impression I got from the way they describe it in the game. And the picture on the box is of a bloodhound wearing this hillbilly hat over his eyes. So all you can see is his nose and mouth and this hat that's covering his eyes. It's, it's the, it definitely gives you that impression when you're playing the game. So you and your dog get out of the delivery truck. You go to talk to the, uh, to the attendant of the gas station. He tells you, I can give you directions to where you want to go, but you got to go inside the gas station and turn on the lights because the lights got cut off because of a storm or whatever. And so you go in and he tells you it's down in the basement. Well, you go into the gas station, down to the basement, and uh, you have a light and you turn on the light and there are these people that are sitting around a table down in the basement. And they're playing Dungeons and Dragons. And so you go to ask him a question. There's I'm like, some dialogue already choices. in, I'm sold. Right. So you're, I mean, this is already weird as all get out. So you're sitting, you're down there and you're asking him, hey, so is there a, you can ask him, what are you doing down here? You know, are y'all playing Dungeons and Dragons? Are you missing something? Where's, and where's the, you know, the, uh, the breaker box? It doesn't matter necessarily what you ask them in terms of how they interact with you because they do not acknowledge your presence at all. So whatever you ask them, they're still involved in whatever it is that they're doing at the table. So you can search around. There's not a whole lot of freedom down there to roam, but you can go from one end of the hallway to the other, uh, but you can't get past that table. So once you figure out the little puzzle that they want you to figure out to get past that table, they're looking for something. When you find it and you go back to the table to give it to them, they're not there anymore. And then you just walk right past, turn on the power, go back upstairs then you can use the computer to find out the address and how to get to this place. So you write down the directions on how to get to this place and then go back to talk to the attendant. And he's very um, cryptic about the, where you're going. So you're trying to find uh, this route zero and this address on route zero. Well, route zero doesn't seem to exist and neither does this address. But you still have to find it. Uh, and so he gives you the instructions. Okay, you got to go up to this place and you got to take a right. So when you get back in the truck, it takes you to this like, uh, you know, two dimensional map screen where you are, your icon turns to this, this like wheel and tire and you have this map, I guess, of Kentucky. So you start move, going up the highway and there will be like an an icon will appear and it'll be like, this is a, an abandoned warehouse. And you're like, okay, well I'm supposed to take a ride at the abandoned warehouse. So you go right at the abandoned warehouse and you go down and there's, you're supposed to get to something else, but there's something in the way, like a, like a bridge, a broken bridge. So you can park there and examine it. And so you get out of your truck and then from there, your adventure kind of branches off and you start meeting other characters. But, I guess the it's been very interesting. It's a lot of reading, like I said, and it's uh, very atmospheric. It's kind of haunting, I guess, in a way, but it's not scary. It's just I don't really know what's going on, but it's interesting enough to keep my attention. So because I still am trying to figure out like, 
you what meet a character. What type of game that, is it? Is it a horror? It's it's an it's an it's an adventure game. Uh, an an adventure, and I would say minimal minimalistically on the puzzles. It's it's almost like a two dimensional. It's not a, a first person walking simulator. It's almost a two dimensional side scrolling walking simulator. If that even makes sense. You know, so because you can see your the little person on the screen, you can see all of the places that they're going, you're watching them and controlling them. But I, I don't know that you can die. I don't know that you can, you know, that there's any way for you to, to necessarily lose the game, per se, as much as make decisions and continue to influence the direction that the story goes. Uh, and so you'll get to the end. It just may be a different end than someone else because you chose different dialogue choices, you know. Um, and you still have to control your the character to get to certain places and maybe to unlock and and progress the story. So there are puzzle elements to it. It is, I guess, technically kind of an adventure game, but I would I would equate it more to a a walking simulator in that respect. So it's kind of it's more of an experience than it is having like uh, intense game mechanics or anything like that. Lots of reading, uh, decent music. Uh, the story is interesting, and it's it's just it is really kind of weird, um, but it's it's captured my attention. Uh, it's definitely one I'm going to finish. It's a little expensive, but I don't know how long um, it's going to be out there because I think each one of the episodes probably cost five ninety nine when it originally was released, and I bought the whole game for thirty bucks or twenty nine dollars. Um, just and I really bought it just on a whim from reading uh reading the uh description and seeing that some other people had played it i was like i just want to play something different i want to play an independent game you know i want to uh, independently developed uh game from an independent studio and and just try something different you know and i like it so it's uh, right now it's a recommend uh if if that's the type of game that you like it definitely is is uh because you don't really know, to me, so far in the game, you don't really know what's real and what's not. You don't know if everything's a dream or if everything is, uh, you know, just happening in your head or if this is, you know, if everyone's a ghost. It's it's hard to tell. But I, I'd recommend it's definitely a, a play if that kind of game is interesting to you. But So, yeah, Kentucky Route Zero. Kentucky Route Zero. It's quite mm-hmm. a title. It is quite a title, and although it tells you everything and nothing at the same time, <laughs> it tells you the road you're looking for, and it tells you nothing about how the game, and the and the cover art with the dog and the hat, nothing. All that stuff's in the game, doesn't reveal anything about what the game's about. So, yeah, well that brings us to news, our second segment, and um, we're, as I understand it, a little light, and you're in your... Uh, in your corner on this yeah i mean but I've, you did have some interesting things about the stadium yeah that that's that's all i'm coming to the table with hope you weren't expecting big things from me uh <laughs> <laughs> no you know I've, I've had i've had quite a busy week to be honest so uh i haven't i haven't been keeping current and you know coronavirus is being blamed for things that are not a problem over here in this country so you know we've we've had to be on reddit <laughs> right um so uh yeah hit hit me up on r slash quit your bullshit yeah um <laughs> so the big news that i have is 
basically I have been seeing quite a few videos on YouTube. The most recent one was from Jim Sterling, but he's not the only source that I've, I've seen information about Stadia and developer relations from. And the quickest TLDR uh, version of usually half an hour long videos is that the AAA publishers are what Stadia seems to be focusing on. Um, when it comes to forging those cross-platform relationships so that they can bring their games onto the Stadia platform. What I wasn't aware is that platforms pay developers to port their games over. I never thought ah. that that would happen. I don't know. In my mind, I figured, well, they have an audience, so why wouldn't you want to be on their platform? Like, it's more sales, surely. So right. why would you need to be paid? So first off, developers get paid to be on platforms? Lol. Um, I didn't know that was a thing. I figured maybe if it was an exclusive, that makes sense. But it seems like no. Just straight out, they, you know, Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, whatever, must be greasing the hands of game developers so that the games get released on their platforms and probably more so if it's an exclusive i didn't think about that i thought it would be the other way around that developers would kind of be at the mercy of now after what well over a decade of near dominance in in their particular categories i mean if you're not on steam and i guess recent contender epic games but like generally speaking if you're not on on steam you're not on pc if you're not on uh xbox or playstation you're not on console like that that i would just thought that was the way the world worked but turns out right. it's not and turns out the reason why stadia has well according to reports from anonymous indie developers and like um, smash hit indie developers but indie developers nonetheless is that Stadia approached them with so little money that it basically wasn't even part of the conversation and just said Ooh. basically we're Google like give us your game and they said well you're Google and you abandon stuff all the time so no and um, that's why Fair enough. they don't have a good catalog of games because apparently they're not ponying up and the developers don't have confidence that they're going to support it. So, I mean, I get that the developers do have to do work to port the games over to a new platform, but they make money from the sales. So I really feel of two minds about this because... Yeah. Um, I recently used to work for a lifestyle app that hosted coupons for venues um, and never in my wildest dreams would we have paid a merchant to be on our platform. It was the other way around and that's how I thought it worked in right. the gaming industry. Like we have the customers, you have the thing, you want our customers to buy the thing, why would we pay you? Like it seems crazy. So. I'm sort of in two minds. I think that that is, if that's what's been happening this whole time, that developers make a game and then in order to get it on every single platform, those platforms pay them to create a version that works on the platform and then they also make money from sales. I don't know. It seems backwards to me. 
Yeah, you know, I'm actually, I guess, uh, my limited understanding of marketing and business, it, it, it kind of makes sense to me that that Microsoft would pay someone and to to develop for my console because of the specific requirements. I think um, Steam's way of doing things and it makes sense as well in that they provide a platform, even tools to a certain extent, but they don't charge you, as to my knowledge, to develop or to put any games on there. But they take a percentage of the profit. Uh, I don't know if that's broken down in any way with game developers, but it seems like it would make sense that Microsoft would pay you to develop a game for a flat fee to develop a game for me, and then you want make money off of whatever that is. Microsoft doesn't necessarily make any money off of that. I don't know that to be the truth, but that would make sense to me. You know, Microsoft or PlayStation develops in-house, uh, or or you know, Naughty Dog develops Last of Us. And they pay a little extra to make it exclusive. Yeah, and the pay a little extra to make it exclusive makes sense. But we're talking about just porting something that's not exclusive. Why? I, right. You no, know, it just seems so weird. I thought how it worked was the developers make a game. They're like, kick yeah, I'm making this game. Then they go to the, the uh, platforms and they say, right, which one of you wants this game on your platform? And they say, yeah, we'll take it. And then they make a version of that. The platform, I would assume, gets a cut of the sales, but I never thought they would give the I developer if they money for though. having it on their platform. I wonder if they get a cut of the sales, or if that money comes from... Well, if they, they don't I guess get a cut of the sales, to. then how do they make any damn money? Yeah, I guess they would have to. They have um, to. But why would so, they give them money in advance to get a bit of the sale just so that they can do the... Maybe it's just money up front for development. I don't know. I mean, the the whole the whole idea of game development is has been probably in evolution since the beginning. I imagine it has evolved uh, from whatever its original state was to what it is now. Uh, you know, it hasn't followed the same business practices that whole the whole process of game development as other industries. And so I think it's kind of still relatively in its infancy. It, it's a billion, multi-billion dollar. So now a lot of these bad business practices are being brought to light. you know. And so this may just be a backwards way of handling the business part of it that, or a way that's not been practiced elsewhere uh, that's really just being brought to light. You know, That's how it always was, and so that's how it is until it changes. I don't know. It's interesting. I didn't know that about it as well either, and so... Interesting to to hear why Stadia yeah. maybe isn't getting because they may be expecting a particular you know a, a particular line of reasoning or business practice because that's how Google does business or well, that's so how other that's areas the funny do business. part is like so I got the impression that Jem Sterling agrees that it's a bad thing that Google isn't putting their hand in their po- pocket but for once I don't think I actually agree with him I think. That is a stupid practice. Why is it happening? Like, if you're yeah. going to be a game development studio, like, you, sh- your purpose is to create this thing. Imagine if it, like, if it was a retail setting. Well. Yeah. I know for a fact from watching tons of Shark Tank and Dragon's Den that no supermarket <laughs> pays a pickle company to, to stock stuff on their shelves. 
The pickle company right, pays but, the supermarket. But to their credit, Mark Cuban might give you $250,000 for you to begin production, but he's going to take 25%. But that's a shareholder. I don't imagine that when I, they money changes hand, they become shareholders. Like, I don't think but that's how it works. Don't they, though? Don't they become? It's like you... Uh, Microsoft or, or let's say Stadia or let's say Microsoft. Microsoft, we're going to give you such and such money to develop this game, but we're going to take 10% of every sale. No, no, it's not to develop the game. Like, it's literally to, like, request a port of an existing game. So, right. like, they've yeah. already done it. It's really, I mean, I can't imagine it's that hard to, like, port it. They seem to port things quite quickly. So, like. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm ignorant uh, to that. I don't know how hard that is. I mean, uh, maybe I'm downplaying it. Apologies to any game developers that listen. I'm sure your work is hard. <laughs> I'm sure there's just a lot of you, and that's why it's quick. But I think my yeah. point is, like, if you wanted to make a product in the rest of the world, yeah, you would have right. to get that financing from external sources not related to the distribution channel, generally speaking. That would have right. to come from an investor, stockholders, crowdfunding, whatever. And then you go to the supermarket or ASOS or Amazon and you list your product and that platform takes a cut of your product without ever talking to you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, right. they might have those conversations, but they're not giving you any money. They don't have to. They have an audience. And even though Google Stadia isn't wildly adopted... They still have an audience. They're still Google. And the idea that Xbox and PlayStation are paying anyone to put anything on their platform when they have millions and millions and millions of people playing, like, come on. I don't know. It seems really backwards. And then we wonder why developers get laid off and all this sort Like, You know what I mean? The practices seem backwards from the rest of the world. Right. No, I, I think... Uh... I think that's an interesting point. I, I, I don't know enough about it, but I, I probably need to do some more research. To me, it seems it's at least palatable that they're asking for the money, but I'd like to know, it does it aid in development or is it after the fact? If it aids in development, it makes sense because then they kind of have skin in the game. If it doesn't and the game is already developed and all I'm doing is finalizing how this is ported to your system, I don't, you know, I may... I, that that may not make yeah, quite as much sense. I mean, but. it doesn't, like, really think think about it from an app perspective, yeah? Yeah. So, like, you want to launch an app. You're not going to just launch an app for the Microsoft Store right? and then go to Apple and say, hi, I'd like some money if you want me to put it on the Apple Store. They'd laugh you out of the room. Right, <laughs> it would have to be. It seems like, you know, because, like, you also probably didn't just develop the app with no funding, you know, so you like you said, a third party probably aided them in the beginning to give them the money to get to where they are with skin in the game. So it sounds like potentially Microsoft is is both of those could be Microsoft and PlayStation. And, and what the expectations for Stadia was is, all right, you you want you want this. You're not only going to be our initial investor, but then you're also going to be our uh, you know, our distributor. So they kind of wear both hats. Again, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case or not, but it sounds like that is potentially how it works. 
Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I, I could understand how it exists, but it flies in yeah. the face of pretty much every other industry structure. Yeah, I agree. Out there. Yeah, I agree. Like, you know, all the Walmart does not get pay people to stock stuff in Walmart. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, literally, I guess they do, but physically. Like, they're paying someone to physically stock it. Well, I mean, not, they're the, not paying. The, the they're not, product yeah, owners pay Walmart for. Well, right. they pay them in terms of they give them the ability to purchase the product lower than RRP and add their markup. So that's how they pay Walmart. But, right. you know, Walmart is not is not pay. Maybe, you know what? I just thought of something. Maybe it's kind of like a design collaboration where, right. like, remember maybe 10 years ago, Target went through this phase of collaborating, like, with a bunch of sort of fairly recognizable and H and M did that too. They did an H and M Versace maybe, which was crazy. Um, <laughs> and uh, they they collaborated with them. Now I imagine in that case they might have paid them for like the trademark and design and stuff like that because they knew it would be like a mutually beneficial arrangement that's possible i don't know but i can't really think of any really any other instance where you have a thing you want to market it and you don't pay the channel that you're marketing it on like (laughs) i don't know yeah it sounds crazy no you're right and and the way jim sterling said it when i walked away from the video i was like ah yeah screw you google you suck and then when i thought about it longer i was like wait actually like, I think Google has a point. This is a stupid practice. Like, the the game industry is established. If Microsoft and PlayStation and Nintendo are play, paying developers to port games onto their platform, I think that's stupid and archaic. Like, Well, they may have exposed a hole in, in developers or in these game companies' uh, logic and, and, and business plan, you know, that may have exposed it. Now, Stadia may be may suffer because of it, but it sounds like maybe uh, there's a hole in that whole business plan and that, that it needs to change. Lots of things I think we can agree need to change about <laughs> game development and, and uh, the whole business model. Yeah, exactly. Well, did you know that this week is the 20th anniversary of PlayStation 2? I didn't know I that. I mean, I, I've never owned a PlayStation in my life, so I haven't really oh, been tracking it. Oh, my gosh. It. You know, I did PlayStation. I did own the original PlayStation and the PlayStation Two, and I've owned PlayStation Three and Four and blah blah. And we talked about it in other on other episodes. You know, I was I'm a Nintendo fanboy first and foremost. This is not a secret. But uh, for a long time, I was big. I was a big PlayStation supporter until Knights of the Old Republic. So when Knights of the Old Republic came out, uh, that's when the original Xbox big brick with those giant ridiculous controllers that it had. Um, That's when it came out, and that actually swayed me. I I think I only had two. I had Ninja Ninja Gaiden uh, on Xbox. I had, I think Devil May Cry came out on on the original Xbox and, and Knights of the Republic. So I only had two or three games, but it was enough to get me to buy the console. So anyway, all that to say, PlayStation 2 was an incredible console it was a console that that kind of doubled uh, it, it was uh, to it, to my knowledge it was the first console that kind of could be a multimedia device 
So it was your, uh, it was your DVD player. It could be, especially I was in college, so it was a DVD player, as well as a gaming, and it had so many gaming choices. I mean, everybody was developing games for PlayStation at the time. So, uh, anyway, just happy birthday to the PlayStation Two. I still have mine. Happy birthday, <laughs> PlayStation Two. Woo-hoo. How old is it now? Twenty. Jesus. Twenty. I know. I know. I don't even want to think about it. Um. So that's first bit of news for me. The second thing is, uh, The Last of Us, even though you haven't gotten to play it yet, is coming to television. Uh, it is. There's a series for The Last of Us being developed, I believe, by HBO. So uh, if you couldn't experience it in its glory on the PlayStation, hopefully you will at least get to experience a quality representation on, on television. So... Uh, I'm anxious to see how they do this. This is this game was born to be. It was. It was. It's. It's one of the games that would come to mind if there was like a perfect translation. Like this game could be a movie. It should be a movie. This is one of those games uh, that I think could easily translate to that medium. So I'm anxious to see how they do it. And I think a series is a much better way to to do something that. That occurs over the course of 10, 12, 15 hours of actual gameplay. You can't just do that in a two-hour movie, I don't think, and not do it justice. So I'm anxious. I'm anxious to see how this works. I'm excited. What's that? Well, longer form content. I mean, it's the game itself was hours and hours long. So, you know, I don't think you could do it justice. And isn't there two games? Yeah, there's the second one's about to be released. Yeah, so they've got enough. They've got probably. Would you estimate sixty hours of gameplay between the two core core gameplay? I would say at least forty. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, for forty hours of core gameplay, even if you cut out half of it, you know, you got twenty episodes right there. Job done. Right. Exactly. Or forty you know, and, if they're little half hour bits. And HBO does a good job of cutting a series when it needs to die. You know, if the story only lasts two, three series or two or three seasons and that's it, well, that's fine. Just end it there because that's when it should end. Uh, and so maybe they'll do the same with this. So I'm I'm excited to see what they do with that. That's I mean, it's a game I love. And so it's a story I'd love to see on TV. Uh, Kojima and uh, some of the collaborators that he has worked with in the past have been hinting at a new game that's in development with pictures on Twitter. I believe they even posted some things to Instagram and all of the the little hints and the Easter eggs that they've dropped in these pictures have have alluded to Silent Hill. Um, this is this is great news for someone like me who absolutely probably will not play it, but would love to see it uh, nonetheless. So I don't know if you uh, have seen any of this or, or have uh, been paying attention or following along. No, come on. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, Kojima is ambitious. He's incredibly talented. He's He's got an eye for horror as well. And as much as I do not like to play these games, Silent Hill 2 is one of the best games that I ever played, one of the last horror games that I ever really played. 
and one of the absolute, like I said, best gaming experiences. It had a lasting impact. The ending of that game is a game is is something I continue to discuss to this day. I mean, I really think it was that well done. Uh, so anything in this vein, I think, is um, is exciting. And uh, I'm looking forward to see kind of what they do with that. Now, the last bit uh, of news that I wanted to talk about is the uh, last this past week they released a trailer and gameplay video for Baldur's Gate 3. Have you checked any of this out? What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Baldur's Gate 3. I loved Baldur's Gate 2. It was a dungeon crawler for anybody that ever played it or is kind of a fan of the Neverwinter Nights or the D&D games before that. I hadn't really played those as much. Uh, But Baldur's Gate, I spent... I, I, I spent hundred hours playing that game uh it was and it's not a game that you tend that you would think it's not like an open world witcher 3 type of game it's a diablo style dungeon crawler but the best part about it was the couch co-op for me so me and and a buddy could sit down and and just i probably you can beat it and then when you beat it you unlock drizzt uh the dark elf Oh yeah, and and you can go back through the game with him or any of the other characters with everything that you unlocked. So basically, it's just like New Game Plus. You just keep going through and getting better and better and better things. And so, like, I finished the game. It's one of the few games that I just went through and finished three, four, five times, and just continued to play through it because it was fun enough. The dungeon crawling aspect and getting new loot, the whole the whole model that Diablo kind of perfected to a certain extent, Baldur's Gate was doing. Well, they changed the gameplay. Now it's turn based strategy, D and D. It's a turn based strategy D and D game, um, which uh, I think it was Mutant Year Zero was the game that the most recent uh, turn based strategy game that I played, and I was kind of out of practice. So I wasn't really, it's a tactics game, you know, where you have to put your, uh, you have your characters, you have to put them on the, on the board, essentially, you have to move them one at a time, and then the other team moves their characters, and depending right. on if you're in the range, you can be attacked or whatever. It was a strategy game, and, and that whole strategy, I was, <laughs> I was just not as fresh on, so I definitely had to restart a few times. So it's a completely different gameplay experience. It looks fantastic, um, but it's it is a departure from Baldur's Gate two, and so I'm I mean uh, if you're a fan of Baldur's Gate and if you're a fan of the D and D games, I think that you'll uh, you'll enjoy it uh, at least from what I've seen. I think I'm going to give it a try uh, because I enjoyed Baldur's Gate two so much, and I do like D and D games, uh, but the 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 turn based strategy it definitely. Uh, it's definitely an acquired taste. If you're not practiced and up on it and you haven't played it a lot, um, it, 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 they're much more time-consuming. So The the like best true turn-based combat game that I enjoyed was actually South Park. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was great, man. Like, they all had, like, it was like chess. They all had different ways that they could move. I don't know. I really right. enjoyed the combat almost as maybe more than the story, to be fair. 
Well, that's actually really impressive, I think, for that game. And I know that's what they were shooting for with that game, is it for to be a good game first and everything else is secondary. And so that, says, that speaks highly to that particular game. Um, if the combat... Uh, even o- potentially overshadowed the humor and everything. Oh yeah, I, I like I. I don't think that now that I'm older, I enjoy South Park as much as I did when I'm young. But <laughs> like, I think sometimes it goes a bit too far, where you're just like, "Yeah, we get it, ha ha ha, poo." You know what I mean? Like, right. I think I think I've evolved beyond poo jokes. But I really oh, I did enjoy the combat. Like, I thought it was quite good. Both both of the games, I played both of them. They were great. After I played the first one, I bought the second one like right afterwards because I was like, "Yeah, get in." Nice. Although yeah, it is censored I, the, in the, the European first one, Union, so you get a lovely little, like, sad squirrel. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, the uh, the first game comes with the second game now, I think. So you can, if you buy, I think, if you were to actually purchase the game, I think you get the first game with it. So. Oh, damn it. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, I know. Well, anyway. Well, that's my news, uh, and that brings us to our main topic, which main is... Topic. Yeah, our main topic. So, which is, why don't we have some of this technology that we once upon a time dreamed of? It's 2020. Where are the, where are the, where are the advances in in technology that we thought we would have at this point? And to be honest, I I think I'm just I just approach this particular topic from such a retro perspective that. I have a feeling that you and I are not going to agree on some of these uh, where we should be versus, you know, uh, maybe even what I what I particularly would like to see in gaming. So but we'll start with with you with what what are some what are some uh, advances that we would we thought we would have had at this point? Well, uh, one that automatically. Uh, oh, and I should say, we're sort of restricting this to gaming and facilitating of gaming, because otherwise, flying cars are the right. first one. Right. Oh, we'd be all over the place, yeah. <laughs> we're the flying cars. Um, <laughs> so, I think the first thing that I think of is that movie Minority Report. Like, um, that perfect control of uh, a virtual screen with touch... I mean, it just seems so seamless, and it keeps coming up in movies, because it's in Iron Man, and it's in TV shows, it's in Picard, the brand new TV show that's just come out, and this is stuff that we've been seeing for years. You know, Minority Report is maybe the first example I can think of, but Minority Report, what, 20-year-old movie? Maybe more? Maybe 25 years old? You know, it's not a new movie, Um, and yet brand new 2020 television shows have the exact same interfaces like i don't know if you've watched picard but you know this is not a spoiler because it's not it's not instrumental to the plot but um the pilot of the ship that um, picard is on controls it with completely in-air controls 
like they're just digital oh, nice. controls for the whole ship and all the systems and they're just i can imagine what it must look like in actual filming of people just wildly wiggling their hands around in air at nothing um but you know he makes it look really cool he makes it look like he's actually got like a stick shift or something i don't know it's a long story if you if you watch picard <laughs> you'd understand um but if not my, my my point about that is it keeps showing up why haven't we made it you know, it, it's obviously something right. that people think in the creative field is cool. So why don't we have it? Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, we had a version of this with the Connect. You know, we had a which if you if you used it, did you I mean, did you use the Connect to any degree of success? I did. But the Connect was a cheap imitation of the full functionality of like Tony Stark's visualizer, you know? Right. Movement controls has, and this is a good, a, a really good place to start, I think. And could, this could be the be all end all of this topic to begin with, because I think so much can be integrated with this from VR uh, to, you know, from the Nintendo Wii all the way to, you know, virtual reality controls at this point. So, um, the Connect did it to to varying degrees of success, and I think from a from a UI standpoint, this makes complete sense. I think a user interface, a digital user interface that I can interact with and use with my hands, I think makes sense and might even be fun. Might it would be engaging? I don't know that from a gaming standpoint, though, that it's the best way to experience something. What What do you think about, you know, that uh, Minority Report screen as a as a gaming mechanic, though? I see it as the UI. So if you had, like, you know, you've got the, well, you would need it as part of the Ready Player One kit, yeah? So I'm yeah, thinking yeah. you're, like, suspended in some way, like maybe even Willy Wonka style zero gravity party time, you know, you're fully suspended. So you have full range of motion and you know, you have the Star Trek holodeck. Listen, I'm just throwing it all out at once. Here we go. Let's just, we'll just explode the whole episode in one go. So you've got, you've got the, you've got the Star Trek holodeck, which is like projecting everything around you. So you sort of got real immersive stuff. You've got Right. true 360 movement capability like i'm thinking about things that are actually possible as well like you could get a room sized projector like why not you know they they have the things that make you feel like you're skydiving at amusement parks why can't we use that for gaming you know add right. in a minority report style ui so if you need to check how many bullets you have left in your like backpack or check your inventory or use a potion or whatever like why can't you just like pretend to grab it out of your backpack and it visualize all the counting and stuff over your hand like why not you know like we've got projectors we've got hollow we've got holographic projections of tupac come on people let's let's this, make this it this is consumer. very true <laughs> I want two exactly, but make yeah. it consumer. <laughs> well, you know, that's interesting and and I think it it kind of uh segues a little bit to 
if you've seen um, if you've seen Far From Home, Spider-Man Far From Home, and Mysterio's technology. So minor spoiler for a movie that's a year old, but the uh, the idea of having drones that can project a essentially a three dimensional tangible experience uh, because they, they're actually projecting something that you're seeing so that you are seeing something different than what's actually there. But they, they can also interact with you because it is an actual tangible thing. So um, that we have some of this technology where we can see something that's not really there doing something that they didn't actually do with deep fake technology. And, uh, and the idea that you can have someone else's face put over another person's face with their voice doing something that wasn't actually done. Oh, um, deep fakes, yeah. Yeah. And and so, you know, or like you said, with the Tupac uh, projection and, oh, that just, you know, it's getting past the uncanny valley is the part that I think is going to be the, you know, uh, accepting something that, you know, that your body or your mind actually knows is not real. Um, oh, I don't know. It's. I think we're close. I think we have a lot of this technology. It's just not currently being used for, or at least to a, a, any good degree, uh, successful degree, really, in gaming. The, the interface I definitely see. But I think ultimately my take-home is I don't know that at least there hasn't been any uh, any iteration that, to my knowledge, would replace the controller, the the actual controller to a game. Not yet, not a good rep, not a good replacement. I'm not saying that they can't. Oh, I'm you just mean, saying yeah. from well, an experience yeah. standpoint. But they, like they have been promising this stuff in TV, movies, at events, and things like that. I feel like for decades now, like why why don't we have any of this stuff successfully replicated into the living room like why is it that our current vr still makes me want to puke <laughs> yeah 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 and and i think that there are if we once we get to the haptic suit era you know of of gaming um hopefully it's not as dystopian as as that world was but if we get once if or when we get to that 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 level I am I'm absolutely embracing new ways to interact with gaming and and every game potentially or every genre of gaming having its own I guess controller so to speak like uh if you're playing a game like uh Call of Duty you know and you have your haptic suit that you you have a controller that makes it seem more real that I'm actually carrying a weapon and I'm loading the weapon and or whatever you know that my interaction with the game and my mechanics are affected by this very specific controller for this very specific experience because i think that not all gaming will go that direction and that other games like an action adventure puzzler will be best controlled and the best experience may still be some form of a handheld controller so i don't know that's just my thought See, I think that I think you do need the ability to mimic the weight and heft of things you touch in your environment. Sure. But right. there are already 
wearables that exist for like uh, first person shooters that mimic getting shot in the chest in fairly right. accurate like positioning and they're not terribly expensive so I don't imagine really yeah they're not awful uh, my flatmate bought one one time I mean I'd never tried it because he said it really bloody hurt that's enough reason not to yeah but I think it could be possible to create a suit that had maybe electrodes in it um, or maybe magnets of some sort that interacted with the room that you were in or some other kit in order to mimic you picking up certain weighted objects and things like that I mean the body can't it can't be that complicated every single sensation that we have passes through neural receptors so it's in my opinion just a matter of fooling those neural receptors into believing that something is there when it's not and optical illusions do that with our eyeballs all the time and have existed for i don't know how long do you think always 1800s maybe maybe they started to actually call them optical illusions you know the whirly thing and the dots and the but if that can easily fool your eyeballs then there has to be some neural a way of engaging the rest of our nerves to convince them of something that's not happening to it and there have been experiments already that people show you with the robotic arms where they put the people in VR and they have themselves move their arms but it's just a robot's arm being moved or something and then they go to stab the robot and the person flinches because they think they're going to be stabbed but it's a yeah. robot i'm sure you've seen this i'm not ex- i'm not describing it very well jesus that was clumsy eh um <laughs> but like it's my mo they can so show people that your mind how easily your mind can be tricked in vr they just need to take it that one step further to trick the senses as well not just the mind right. but like the senses so feeling the weight and the heft of objects the kickback from guns things like that i think they should definitely tone it down because as someone who fires quite a bit of weaponry at least once a year um you know big guns hurt shoulder um so right. uh i would say they need to tone it down by a huge factor if it's still going to be appealing to everyone um but i think it should be possible because we're really just balls of electricity really so right if you stimulate the right with the right electrical current i mean maybe i'm oversimplifying how the body works but i swear that's what they say all the time like you know you're just a ball of energy and it's your nerve sending signals to your brain and your brain's interpreting those electrical signals and so all they really need to do i love that i'm saying it like it's so easy <laughs> all they really <laughs> need to do is just find a way to send your brain incorrect neural signals um but my question for you is, if they did achieve that, as someone who I know makes fun of people who use Alexa regularly, would you actually do it? Would you actually use it? I don't know. That's a good question. I would not be the first to adopt it, no. 
just but, but I'm also I'm not anti-technology I'm just skeptical of I don't I don't just embrace new uh, and change for the sake of it but I'm also not against it I just want to have an opportunity to see pros and cons how does it work how does it not work I'm not uh, like I said I, I'm, I'm open to to the change just not necessarily blindly going to accept stuff like that so. <laughs> meanwhile i'm like beam me up scotty i'm in <laughs> i know it i know it like i said i'd try it but i i, I it wouldn't be my uh you know i wouldn't be as as uh, just blindly open to it um in terms of accepting or adopting it i did i was doing a little bit of research for this and when i started talking about mysterio's technology i was like it seems like we probably have a lot of this technology too which would which would create a a much more visceral experience if if it all is happening without any visual. Now the Google Glass stuff we've talked about before, the um, you know potential uh, you know cybernetic implants and things like that. I mean, all that stuff I think is in our future as well. But I think at this point, it it wasn't that far fetched for me to think. Well, you know what? I I'm, I'm willing to bet that that the Mysterio technology is is probably a real thing. Well, as I was doing a little bit of research, I found that uh, on Sci-Fi Wire, they can actually... Well, I've already seen the drone races. Have you ever seen those where they actually race the drones? Yeah, it's quite fun. They're, you know, they're training hawks to intercept drones and pull them from the sky. And, and to me, that goes back to... <laughs> You're using an analog, you know, to to go back and combat a, you know, this futuristic technology, and and uh, apparently because they're like I'm, so much more faster and accurate <laughs> and stronger. Which ones are the the, the hawks? hawks? Yeah. So like, let's well, say yeah. over an airport, they can train hawks to just keep the drones away from restricted airspace, which I just think is hilarious. <laughs> it's a fantastic. It's fantastic until you arm the drones and and they can you know, oh whatever. No, don't start barbecuing hawks now. Well, I'm I'm all for the hawks taking the drones out. I think that's I think that's awesome, and that's that's how it should work. Uh, or you just shouldn't need the you know just know the place, but training animals to go back and do some of that's uh, to take care of things because they're still better at it than anything we can invent. You know, uh, I think is is awesome. But we have the technology to fly drones in synchronized formations. Like, we have that technology. So everything that kind of happened in terms of, like, a flock of drones projecting an image is really the only thing that's missing. You know, now projecting an image. And there is technology out there, at least on a smaller scale, that even shows that they could probably do that to some extent. So, um it's really not that far fetched, and I just think that's fascinating that we're, you know, seeing a movie where uh, something that seems very fantastical, it's not that, it's not that unreasonable, and we're not that far from it. So that's one of the things that I wouldn't even even thought of was on the radar in terms of gaming and and uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, and then now even using drones and and other technology to have like a a, a four-dimensional experience almost (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, that would definitely solve the like visual challenge. I know a couple episodes we were talking about how, you know, they should look at a way to make gaming have no screen barrier so screen size is not an issue when yeah. you're out and about so i suppose yeah drones could be deployed in order to pretty much have no screen barrier i mean if it's around you it doesn't have any screen barrier to you although it wouldn't necessarily be visible to anyone else so you'd probably just look like a crazy person crouching in a field <laughs> for sure yeah and that's that augmented reality i think you could do that with ar you know yeah no, I mean, I never really thought about drones being deployed that way. But yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that technology already exists to a certain extent um, where it would be possible. Uh, but once again, you know, do you want to be followed by a horde of synchronous drones? N- no. I mean, it, I think maybe the reason why we don't have these things is because of the privacy and safety concerns around them like what if legit reasons yeah what as if well. they started dive bombing you like an angry hawk <laughs> well and they are somewhat autonomous so it is possible and if you put weapons on them that's the end so yeah wow uh maybe the drones is a step too far uh the ar may be where it's at <laughs> in terms of, you know, I mean, and, and then you have a more self-contained experience because anybody else that were around you, then they would be experiencing that as well. I think that gaming for a large, in a large way is, is about your experience. You know, you can experience it with others, but that's voluntarily, you know, everybody's kind of got to be on the same page. <laughs> Well, you wouldn't want to surprise someone with a bunch of drones. Like, ta-da, guess what we're doing today? That's what I'm saying, you know. So, uh, yeah, and I think that gets that gets past that uncanny valley and the and the whole nausea. Because, like, I can't even ride those VR rides at, at Universal or Disney where you're... You're in a... Essentially a stationary... You're not, you don't leave this one area. But everything that you're seeing uh, up and around you makes it appear that I'm going through a castle or I'm going on this ride. But I literally only my chair is moving up, down and around. And so all of the signals that my brain is getting is telling me, well, I'm, I think I'm kind of moving, but I really just want to vomit. So. No bueno. No bueno. No bueno. No bueno. So. Well, any other any other technology that that you think we should have had by now that I can tell you is was better in back in my day? I mean, I think I'm thinking more in terms of all the technology that we've seen before that would need to be combined to make a good traditional gaming experience. Like, I mean, the king of it all is of course, you know, the Star Wars holodeck. If 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 we get to a point where it's a fully realized world with AI characters and all that sort of stuff, where everything feels real and the food tastes like food, like that's crazy. But I think we're so far off from that that it's not that's not realistically possible right now. But I think some elements of that, like 360 projection, weightlessness, or the 360 movement. You know, uh, reactive sensory stuff. Um, you know, and uh, 
mode-controlled UI and things like that, that should be possible if you just cobble together some of the things that do exist, you know, in a clever way. Maybe not cobble together, but, like, if you refine the things right. that do exist into something that you could uh, pop up in a room, you know? Like, so if it was, like, a hammock-style rig in a pop-up cube that you could just sit in your living room, get into the hammock-style rig, you're suspended like Ready Player One, you've got uh, the projection of the map all the way around you, you know, it writes you and horizontals you, (laughs) that's not a word, as it should, you know, uh, to accommodate for what you're trying to do in the game world, and you feel things through the suit, you know, like, I feel like we can't be that far off from Ready Player One. And in in the wider world of how we interact with technology, you know, are we really that far off from Minority Report? When we know we can do holograms, it's just not refined yeah. yet. Like, we can't be that far off. I mean, we should have had it by now. Surely. Don't call right. me Shirley. And there probably is some technology used for war that's, you know, we could totally be using for gaming. Instead. Yeah, darn right. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I guess ultimately is, are we ever going to get to Westworld? Oh, you know? wow, I didn't even think about that. Oh, Westworld. Westworld's almost even better than the holodeck. It, well, it is, because it is 100% tangible. It's 100%. It's basically as real as you want it to be. Wow. And... For that, you know, to that extent, um, you know, it sounds good on paper, but then if you've seen the show at all, then you know how it could go awry. Well, then maybe we um, don't want yeah. that. Like, let's not let's not give them minds. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> well, I mean, not only that, but you'll have West. To me, Westworld. One of the things that that if you were going to give it a, a, a gaming equal. Westworld had in the world everything that's right and wrong with Grand Theft Auto, you know, that you're going to have the people who are willing to kind of play by the rules, but maybe do silly things or, you know, drive a car off the Empire State Building or the or the Statue of Liberty or, you know, drive all of the police cars into the ocean just because you can or uh you know, or do really heinous things and awful things because of whatever sadistic, you know, enjoyment that they get out of that. Um, so, yeah, you know, when it's much more realistic experience, uh, you know, you're going to have people that are going to exploit it and people that, you know, uh, I don't know take advantage of it in the worst way possible. And I think that's the, the, the big negative downside to it. I think it would be a very interesting, maybe cathartic, enjoyable experience for a lot of the people that go in the majority of the people, it'll be the few that ruin it for everybody <laughs> that ruin it for everybody else, which ultimately is what happens in that movie <laughs> or that show. So, well, it's not, it's I mean, not everybody yeah. else. It's cool, man. It's the one guy that's, you know, that messes it up. I mean, but that's how it always goes. Like, people aren't the best. (laughs) True. Very true. 
Yeah, no, I feel optimistic about where we've gotten to, but I do feel like it must not be profitable to try these things because the base technology seems to already exist. Right. So it must not be profitable. And if you see it, I don't think we'll see it in any home version anytime soon. I think if you see anything like this, it's going to be theme park-esque. You know, you'll see it at Disney or Universal before you ever see it anywhere else. You know, something like that. Something that's more of an experience, like a Dave and Buster's. You can rent the room, the holodeck for a little while. Oh, that would and be so go, good. You know, you, you and a party. Catch me outside. How about that? That's right. Well, I would do it. I'd rent it. You know, put the, put our money together. We're going to go to the holodeck. I think for our next topic, so. we should talk about if you rent a holodeck and you bone a fake person, is that cheating? <laughs> <laughs> it's the questions um, we need to know of our time. <laughs> these are the questions of our time. Absolutely. Yeah. Inquiring minds want to know. Exactly. Well, that wraps up this episode of Retro Rebel Gamecast. I want to thank Amanda for this week's discussion. All the notes from this episode will be posted on our site, templeofgeek.com. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at info at templeofgeek.com and have a, head over to iTunes or wherever you download your favorite podcasts and rate us because that really helps our show. Until the next time. See you later. <laughs>